Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Welcome to You Wanted a Hit. We have a very special guest on this episode, my friend Drew Morgan, who is a stand-up comedian and writer and author. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thank you so much. Can I get stoned? Yes. In fact, we encourage it. Should I wait till like halfway through? I mean, is there, you know, is there a test? It's up to you, man. I actually think that's going to be perfect for this song. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a big smoker and I haven't smoked in a while. I've had COVID for a week, guys. What? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, I got the, Holy I got shit. the Delta. I'm a breakthrough. So no big deal. <laughs> oh, no. Just, uh, <laughs> some people are lucky, I guess. You know, then thank you even more for doing this under extenuating circumstances. <laughs> well, I would say today's the best I've felt, which is not 100 percent, but still, you know, like when you're when you're just operating at a 30, a 70 and 80s, like, wow, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this the second day after a bender. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Also, I shaved because I've just been so bored and I can't stop looking at my face on this fucking screen. I hate it. Look at that. I'm just like. I was a little taken aback, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like you thought I was cute and then you saw that. <laughs> we got the wrong fucking guy. I sent the link <laughs> to the wrong this? Drew Morgan. <laughs> guy with a beard with the accent. This dude looks like he's about to make everybody eat flan or something it'd be amazing if i emailed the wrong person and there's some guy showed up he's like, i'll be on your podcast oh i would love it <laughs> i do stuff like that all the time Corey got me on an email list uh these church ladies and i fight with them and tell them what i'm gonna bring to the casserole parties and all kinds of all the time <laughs> <laughs> and it's four church ladies and i'll get on there on these email threads and be like this is discrimination <laughs> against me as a man. I want to come to this, and I have a banging uh, green bean casserole, and you guys are jealous of it. And because it's like Southern church ladies, no one's like, shut the hell up, man. This is a white lady club. They're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, feel free to get stoned, please. This is, this is very encouraging. If you're listening at home and you want to get stoned while you listen, we also encourage that. I should have told you to do it outside like uh, Mark Marin does with his guests. That's because he's sitting with him, though, right? Right, of course. And he's sober. So I remember Gary Clark Jr.'s episode. He was like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You got to leave the garage and come back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enjoying a delicious uh, Big Hazy IPA from Sierra Nevada, our our lone sponsor of the podcast. Is that true? Yeah. We're we're open to more. So, you know, if there's a weed company out there who now wants to support this episode, <laughs> holler at us. You guys are sponsored by Sierra Nevada. That's right. Yeah. I'm not trying to be a dick, but we got to have more listeners than y'all. Like, I'm trying. You to, definitely do. I'm trying to get some beers, man. <laughs> uh, I'm going to introduce you to the song that we will be listening to and then discussing at length on this episode. I'm ready. Oh, I love this song. I love this song. This song's great. I hate this song. It is so weird. How can you hate this song? No, this song's talking about the issues. I like. <laughs> I like the idea of this song and the fact that it exists. I do not like the song. The idea of the song. It's not libertarianism. It's a song. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what about a song that's entitled mm, 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 Do you like the idea of No, I just like I like how absurd the song is It's just in practice when I listen to it, I hate it <laughs> You like that it exists Yeah, yeah I don't think I know any other songs From the Crash Test Dummies Are they all like, just spoken word? No, they're like folky songs Wouldn't go and change with other girls And then the change room and win <laughs> 
Nej, farlig mater. Nej, så. Birthmarks all few. over her body. <laughs> I, when I was younger, I was convinced that that girl was getting beat by her parents. And that was like a code for it, you know? Oh, wow. That makes yeah. sense. I was like, this guy's... You went even deeper than the song does. Yeah, I can't tell if he's... Um, you guys obviously know this is by Crash Test Dummies. Which is a great band name. It's a pretty good band name. For the 90s? Yeah. Wait till you hear the band names that they were going to go with instead of that. But I'm going to take y'all on a trip. We are going to the Arts and Music Hub of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Mm. Which is also known for its long, severely cold winters. It is referred to as Canada's Gateway to the West. And it is smack in the middle of Canada, just north of North Dakota and Minnesota. Uh, So I played there, I think. I was wondering if you've been there. Yeah, if it's if it's where I think it is, I might have to look it up real quick. Um, but like I don't want to offend all thousand of your Canadian listeners right now, but like I don't give a shit about or know anything about Canada. And I'm just not one of those people that's going to pretend that I do. Like, I hate when people are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I've been there. I've been there. I don't give a fuck, dude. That's the most, like, non-country in the world to me. It's just getting worse. It's an idea more than a country. Yeah. You know, I like the idea of it. Well, the dummies aren't the only famous musicians from Winnipeg. It's also home to Neil Young. See, I'm getting I'm getting angry. So is the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive. <laughs> uh, Randy Bachman is in both bands. I don't think I knew that there was a Guess Who Bachman Turner Overdrive connection until this. I didn't know BTO was Canadian. That yeah. definitely struck me as a Western band. But they're like they're just north of Minnesota, so like right. kind of makes sense. Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive in the Guess Who. His son is Tall Bachman. Who had the 1999 hit "She's So High"? I love oh, yeah. that. One. Yep, yep, that's it. They're from Winnipeg, the and then one of my favorite Canadian bands, the Weaker Bands, are from Winnipeg, and they have a great song about how much they hate Winnipeg called "One Great City." I appreciate that you have introduced us to a song and a band, and then you've listed many other bands that are much more famous than said band that we're talking about today, just to really set the scene for the Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> So I learned from multiple sources that the Crash Test Dummies essentially started in two Winnipeg bars, the Spectrum Cabaret and the Blue Note Cafe, which were both owned by this guy, Curtis Riddell, who lived next door to Crash Test Dummies frontman, Brad Roberts. Like when Brad was a kid, his family lived next door to this guy who owns these bars. I don't like people with two first names. You don't like people with two first names? I just, it throws me off. Well... <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I guess I'll go. <laughs> oh, true. True. <laughs> it's also Roberts. No one's first name is Roberts. That's fair. Oh, well, that'd be great. Somebody has to be. This guy who lived next door to little Brad was kind of like an older brother figure, like introducing him to cool shit, letting him hang out in his bar, like all that. And in the mid 80s, they started a bar band together called Bad Brad Roberts and the St. James Rhythm Pigs. That's a great name. Rhythm Pigs? Yes. Rhythm Pigs. That's a good name. It's a great name. It's better than Crash Test Dummies. It might be, yeah. Uh, it's too long. If they were just called the Rhythm Pigs, I'd be into it. I couldn't figure out the reasoning for the name, but they mostly played ironic cover songs, like cheesy Irish traditionals, TV theme songs, and acoustic versions of Alice Cooper songs. <laughs> so they're playing like step by step, and then they're playing some Alice Cooper? <laughs> yeah, they're playing the Three's Company theme, and then they're playing Irish folk tunes. If I went to a Crash Test Dummies concert and that's all they did and then ended with, mm, I would be like, well, that's top 10 shows of my life. <laughs> that is a good point. You have to save your best song for last, right? And then such a downer song to be the end of the concert. Yeah. And right before that, they played the Seinfeld theme, just bass solo. That's their walk up and walk off <laughs> music. Um, Eventually, Ellen Reed and Benjamin Darville joined the band and they became the Crash Test Dummies. That name was originally a joke a joke name for their joke band at the suggestion of a friend who was in med school. Uh, and apparently through like constant usage as a joke, it just stuck. They also, I think it's a good band name. You were saying earlier, it was pretty good. I think it's, I think it's solid. Do you guys remember that in the nineties, crash test dummies were like a thing dolls and action figures and video games and cartoons yeah, yeah, of show, all right? crash test dummies. Yeah. But this was all happening at the same time. It seems likely. I think they were in like a commercial, like an uh, insurance company used them as like a very much like a, 
as like an icon, uh, but then they had their own cartoon. So they were the Geico cavemen of the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. it. Like everything was safety rating because, like, yeah, the soccer mom was kind of conjured out of thin air around this time. <laughs> I'm completely serious. <laughs> like, if you go look at minivans, this is also the time that they blew up. I mean, the American auto guys, the American auto industry is very interesting <laughs> when it comes to looking at it as a lens of American history and what's going on. Because it's a necessity, but it's also expendable income. Anyway, all I'm trying to say is, and I have a little bit of COVID fog brain, so I lose my point a lot. You guys will notice that. <laughs> all I'm trying to say is uh, they sort of conjured the soccer mom out of thin air. And one of the things they were marketing a lot at this time was safety ratings. And there was a lot of commercial with crash test dummies. There were also uh, commercials of lawyers. You wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> what do they call uh, Car seats. Like I remember, there were a lot of car seat commercials, yep. a lot of seat belt, yeah, class action lawsuits. And then there were cartoons, and then a band. They considered some other names that were suggested by their med school friends, such as Skin Graft and the Chemotherapists. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a Skin Graft for a metal band, no. fucking rules. That's a great name. That'd be good. Up until then, Brad Roberts had been playing in in various Winnipeg bar band playing playing covers i mean he was also a student majoring in english literature and philosophy you could hear all that in the lyric oh for sure absolutely and the way he enunciates things he sounds like a pompous prick <laughs> but then he went to the winnipeg folk festival which is still a huge music festival uh after graduation and that changed his plans i guess he saw lyle lovett play there and he was very captivated by what he was doing he liked the irony the quirky sensibility the marriage of unconventionality with a very conventional form of music, i.e. country music, and it really gave him the urge to try writing on his own. He wrote four songs and recorded a demo tape with the band. His brother Dan joined the band, and Riddell, his neighbor, was replaced by Vince Lambert. They got rid of the neighbor? Well, it says that he either quit or was fired, depending on what you read. Mm. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know what happened with this guy. I mean, he was also running two bars. So yeah, he was probably partying too hard, being too rad to be in this lame band. That's probably true. So they recorded this cassette, and four songs that were on the cassette ended up on their debut album, along with a fifth song called Fundies Never Have Fun on Sunday. And according to the Crash Test Dummies website, these cassettes are hard to find and extremely valuable. So I looked it up. I cannot confirm this. <laughs> <laughs> All that means is Brad Roberts has like 700 cassettes in his garage. And he's like, one day I'm going to sell you through an eBay and I make a lot of money, but I, I need the market to rise first. The new the new NFT is Crash Test Dummies demo tapes. Well, when you say you can't confirm it, does that mean that you found them for cheap? Or that No, I didn't find them at all. I mean, that does kind of <laughs> confirm how rare they are. It does. That, that confirms it confirms rare. how rare they are. That's for sure. Uh, there are a lot of Crash Test Dummies cassettes on eBay, if you guys are interested. Just not those. Just not those. No. Um, mm, so the tape mm, started making mm, the rounds. People were into it. They're buying it at their shows, copying it for friends, whatever. And it ended up in the hands of multiple major labels. And we had a good old fashioned bidding war on our hands. Oh, wow. Bullshit. Wait, what year is this? This is uh, 91. They literally yeah. started a bidding war? Start, that's what they say. It's typically according to the band, though. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, one of them's from an LA Times article in 94 that that claimed that there was a bidding war. But BMG and Arista signed the band, um, and they released the band's first album, The Ghosts That Haunt Me, in 1991. Uh, It didn't make much of a mark outside of Canada, but in Canada, it went quadruple platinum, which means 400,000 in Canada, because nobody lives there. (laughs) I think so. Um, Still impressive. That's pretty good, though, right? And like, that's yeah, that's that's even in that time. How much money do you think they made? Depending on their deal, but you know, at the time, what they're probably making a couple bucks per album. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah, at the time, people were buying those albums for like eighteen ninety nine at the wall. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Making some good money. (laughs) It's got a lifetime guarantee, though. (laughs) It does. Yeah, they became super popular in Canada, uh, most of all because of the smash hit single Superman Song, which was on that record. And that earned them a Juno Award for Group of the Year, so Canadian Grammy. So they had a Canadian Grammy in the pocket before mm, ever came out. Yep. Yep, they're coming in. Wow. They've got Ace you know, in the people hole. think it's an overnight success. I mean, when I was watching that music video, I remember wondering if they had ever won a Canadian Grammy. So I'm glad I know now. A lot of the YouTube comments are, did they ever win a Canadian Grammy? Does anyone know? Any way to confirm? More than one comment. Wow. <laughs> You'd think that would... I didn't have Google back then, dude. I had a brother. 
you know, and all he knew about was Metallica and NWA. And I'm pretty sure he was making both <laughs> of the facts up that he knew about those bands. Yeah. <laughs> no, his his crash test dummies tape was on oh, the bed. Okay. He didn't want you to think he was lame. He's afraid I'd steal that one. Good stuff. <laughs> he hit it with his porn out in the woods. So outside of Canada, no one knows who the dummies are until they release their second album, God Shuffled His Feet. No. That's the name of the album. Wow. See, that's not as good of a name as the first one. Like the first one, what was like Ghost the Scarif or something? The Ghost That Haunt Me. Yeah, that's better than God Shuffles the Feet. Although very like grandiose nineteen ninety two at like it vibes is. there. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's like for sure. It's also boring. It's like God and you're like, I'm in, what's happening? And then nah, he's shuffled his feet. <laughs> you know it's gonna be you know it's gonna be some pretentious <laughs> bullshit. And it is. It's his fucking English major bullshit. I mean, I believe you, but like, there's something extra charming about this type of pretense and his inability to pull it off. Like, I know we're going to watch the video, but I can't stop thinking about you calling this guy a pretentious D-bag and then looking at him go, "Mm." like, you're right. That's what he was going for. But that's part of what made it charming. It was like, oh, you know, the guy who works at the bar down the street learned how to read. Cool. It's like he wanted to come off as pretentious and he came off as genuine instead. And it's his life's biggest failure. <laughs> I'm also being reminded of the cover of this album, which I think is like it's like them transposed onto like a biblical type painting. What Bacchus and Aridine? How do, I don't even know how to say it. Bacchus and Aridine is the painting. And yeah, their faces are on it. It's 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 definitely something. You know when you see that and it's called God Shuffled His Feet. Like, you know what you're it's getting something. into. Yeah. <laughs> you know that he had a thesaurus the whole time he was writing all these songs. And the best he came up with was... <laughs> <laughs> so they recorded the album in Wisconsin. Speaking of the Midwest, they recorded in Milwaukee yeah. and Lake Geneva. I've been to Lake Geneva. It's lovely. What's the synonym for... <laughs> Is it Yes, Queen? <laughs> yes. That, that's what it should have been. Or that's what it would have been if he wrote it now. They put out this album, and at the same time, there's a new radio format that happens to be perfect for this band. It's called Triple X. It's adult, album-oriented, alternative rock. I did not know that album-oriented was the, the middle part there. The second A, yeah. Yeah, I never really considered uh, it. Yeah, the A stands for pretentious bullshit. <laughs> you know, this is Lilith Fair time. Yeah. Like, who else is going to play those bands? It's going to be on AAA radio. It's like grunge with acoustic guitars. Did AAA, is, is adult contemporary a thing at this time as well, or did AAA kind of become adult contemporary? So adult contemporary was around beforehand, and I think they've kind of turned into the same format these days. Yeah. Yeah, but this was edgier. Indigo Girls? Yep. Definitely Indigo Girls on AAA radio. Big time. What about that song? Yeah. Oh, I wake up in the morning and I walk outside. What? This, uh, by the way, you need to stop me. I'll just keep asking. Like, what about this? Is this one? <laughs> These stations put this song that we're talking about in high rotation, and it rocketed the band to fame in the United Immediately. States. Immediately. So it's that easy, huh? That's what it sounds like. I couldn't find a lot of information about how that happened, but they were on a major label already. They had sold 400,000 units in Canada. Like, it's kind of teed up for something like that. That's the next frontier. We talk about how K-Rock broke a lot of songs. Was there, like, one or two, like, banner AAA stations at the time? I don't know, actually. Um, I'm guessing it's probably, maybe it was like the onset of like the KEXPs of, of the world, um, WXPN. I was going to say, XPN definitely played this song. What year was this? This is 93. Okay. I wonder if they got a second surge from, I guess it would have been 93. Do you remember The Box trying to compete with MTV? We've talked about The Box because we, uh, that was some regional shit and we were all over it where we lived. Well, we had illegal satellites. So I don't know what region we were getting from, but we had the box. <laughs> and uh, man, they they and, and MTV to a certain extent played the fuck out of that song. I guess it would have been about 93 or 94. So people were calling in and requesting it. Yeah. Paying 10 bucks. I don't, we were trying to remember how much the box, because I was talking about a video that I used to request a lot on the box. It was on one of the episodes and we couldn't remember how much it cost. So they were, they were finally breaking in America and, um, Brad said to the LA times in this 1994 article, you know, I used to relish the anonymity The and how do I say that? I used to relish anonymity? the anonymity of coming to America because we weren't as well known and it was nice to get a respite. But of course 
part and parcel of the anonymity was a lack of record sales. <laughs> always philosophizing, <laughs> right? He always is. Also, I love when like rich, famous people are like, "Oh, I hate being recognized now. It's the worst." Like I'm driving my Aston Martin, and people recognize me. Oh, goddamn. I mean, he's probably just like Kurt Cobain actually hated being famous. And this guy is probably like, I'm just going to crib some of the stuff he was saying about that's probably true. about how I hate being recognized in the produce section. Yeah, that part's annoying. But I want to like focus for two more seconds on I'm pretty sure the whole point he was making is, but, you know, if you're not famous, you don't sell records. But like he took four paragraphs to make that very dumb, <laughs> obvious point. <laughs> so, he used to really like being not known in America, you know, but. Then I learned, if you're not known, you don't sell records. Did you guys know that? Hey, he's an English major. Once again, though, this comes from a guy who mumbled his way through a hit song, so... He's better than us, isn't That's he? true. He's a bullshitter. So he is known for his humorous accounts of the physical body's rise and fall, and his reflections on the metaphysical... What? Who wrote that? Him? No, nah, it's too tight. What? There's no way he wrote it. <laughs> No, the LA Times, which are accompanied Jesus. by music whose subtle modulations and texture and key instill an element of surprise and tension in the simple-sounding pop structures. Man, what the fuck? What a highfalutin review. This reminds me of something I saw recently. Where <laughs> oh, it's a puff was, like, piece. Making the point. If you're going to like critique music or film, you should know something about the process, not just be like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever that, that's, I don't know a lot about music, yep. but none of what that just said was true. Not a, well, one fuck, maybe the word pop was the only <laughs> word where I was like, and that is a description of what he does. <laughs> I didn't even know they were describing music until the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded like uh, something Elon Musk was going to take credit for inventing. He, uh, not Elon Musk, but Brad Roberts, uh, in the same interview, Puff Piece, he said, the last thing I wanted to do was present the listener with some kind of tidy moral message about what it's like to be a child. I think that would be condescending and pedantic. I think life is a complicated thing, and there's plenty of gray areas and not too many black and white areas, and writing pat, easy answers to problems will be trite and didactic. Just so we're clear, we're still talking about the song, mm-mm-mm-mm. <laughs> That's a good soundbite, you know? He didn't want it to be trite, so he just hummed the fucking chorus. <laughs> That's all I got. Mike, I just now realized where all the spice was coming from up top. He kept talking, you like, it's pretentious, fuck the band's name. And I realized, like, you've done all the research, and now you're, you've got a different lens. Because I'm starting to come around. I'm starting to hate everything about this, too. I'm a little biased. It is catchy. You, you guys are coming in fresh on this. I think uh, I think Ted's still on board, though. I think Ted's still a, a dummy fan. The song's pretty undeniable. I still love the song. Yeah. <laughs> Ted loves him. He's like, he got a tattoo. Crashed his stuff. It's just so outlandish that I have something about it. It's also, it just screams early yep. 90s that I'm just like, here for the nostalgia, if nothing else. It, it's also like, it does sound cool. I'm sorry about this, Don't but be it sorry. sounds like, once there was this girl who, man, I was like fucking nine. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything that was on MTV in the box was rap or shitty pop for the most part. And then this dude's all, you know, it's like accessible Chris Cornell. Accessible Chris Cornell. See, that should have been the LA Times review. English major, <laughs> yoga, Allison Chains. Yes. He did actually say in that same piece, he finds existential angst-ridden lyrics to be pretty tiresome pretty quickly. Who is he referencing? I think we should beat him up. <laughs> Other music that's not his own, but I think he's talking about grunge. I think, I, yeah, I mean, okay. let's be honest. He's talking about grunge, even though his band is like kind of capitalizing on the things that grunge <laughs> made popular and just made it AAA. It's also like, I just got done saying he sounds cool, but all right, dude, you're too good for grunge. Like without grunge, you can't, sound like that and get on the fucking radio man no or look like that <laughs> yeah the song itself it's basically about three kids one is in a car accident that turns his hair white which was this also around the same time that the movie powder came out i think powder oh, yeah. i'm gonna go with 96 maybe a little bit. it's based on this song <laughs> i would not be surprised uh another story in the song is a, the girl with birthmarks all over her body who drew thought was being beaten um, and she's ashamed to change in front of her friends, which like I feel like most people are. Once there was this girl who I mean that's that's like another great thing about him being so pretentious. Every stanza starts like a fucking <laughs> parody of a fairy tale. <laughs> this always gave me like Carrie vibes. Oh, like yeah, the movie this part. Oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. 
Um, so the last, yeah. the last story is a boy whose family's involved with a fundamentalist church that makes worshipers fall to the floor and convulse. Or pretend to speak in tongues. I do not remember that. Maybe I never got to the third verse. I think that's why I thought the other girl was being abused. As I was like, again, I was young, but it was like, oh, it's kind of it's like about kids who have it rough. I don't know. He said that he didn't want, he, he didn't, he wanted to talk about real shit, but didn't want to make it morose, I guess, is what he's saying. But he kind of still did. Is it, you think he's shitting on Jeremy? I was saying that too. Actually, that's a great point. Because when you mentioned like coming from the other students, perspective jeremy certainly does yeah i kind of feel like is this song uh a, a yeah a beef response, response rap to pearl jam's jeremy do you think it's a beef response or do you think it's like a fucking layman's shit version because jeremy's an amazing song yeah he's like hey i see that these seattleites did this i'm from fucking winnipeg let's dumb this shit down we have adolescents as well that are struggling yeah. to get through Listen. high school i'm gonna write a song about it yeah it's hard sometimes we have birthmarks yeah in canada <laughs> we don't shoot each other it is much yeah, more canadian response <laughs> this one kid when i was in high school had blonde hair and he didn't want it and sometimes he had to go to church so you know like whatever it's hard out here for a canadian too hey eh? <laughs> look i'm sorry but I just want everyone to know that if you have to go to church, you write sad songs. Is there a resolution in the song, or does he just talk about these three kids and then just trail off? Uh, there's there's not a whole lot of resolution. It kind of feels like a shit happens song. Like that's like things are sad. Here we are. Here's a here's some humming. <laughs> it's literally the shit happens noise. To be fair to the songwriter, you know we can make fun of it, but yeah, he's literally going mm-hmm. like that's literally the. That's your aunt going, mm-hmm. Yeah, this song is the it's the musical equivalent of the fisherman's nod. It's just that's about it. That's what you get. It's a musical shrug. Alright, I am I am I'm reading through the lyrics now. And is the point of the song that other people have it worse than you do? So mm-hmm. Because yes. he mentions that like both girl and boy were glad because one kid had it worse than that. And then he goes off into the third verse about the fundamentalist church kid. So the idea is like, yeah, I have a shit time in high school, but like someone else has a shittier time, so I should feel better about myself. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that's what that's what I that's what I mean. It's it's the shit. It's shit happens. It's like, well, uh, now I'm coming around. The song. This song's terrible. The song's just depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, the worst thing is to have to go to church. That's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I, you know, I really identify with this. I think this guy's just- Meanwhile, Pearl Jam's <laughs> over here being like, yeah, but this guy shot the school up, so... <laughs> like- yeah, but he didn't have to go to church ever again, Ted. Fair. <laughs> Fair point. And, and he didn't have white hair or birthmarks. Jeremy had zero <laughs> birthmarks, so he had other shit to worry about. I heard about. Uh, Jeremy didn't shoot kids to have a birthmark. That's what I heard. I guess when they perform this song, uh, Radio Station in the Netherlands, they perform this song, and the radio station's called Kink FM. During the third verse, when he's talking about the church, he whispers Pentecostal. Hey, that's really loud. So I guess he's specifically talking about the Pentecostal church. Well, that's usually who like speaks in tongues and handles snakes, you know, historically speaking. Got it. Okay. That that totally makes sense. I like that he had to whisper it. (laughs) That's it. Hey, that's loud. Maybe he got some bad press from like other churches that were like, yo. Methodist? Yeah, no, cool. no, just Pentecostal. <laughs> Man, wasn't the other... weird birth <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the Episcopals. Most of the lyrics of the song, supposedly, are based on childhood experiences of Brad himself. Oh. I haven't, I haven't been able to find any, any further information <laughs> about this, but I've read this like five times now. All these pieces and bios of the band and everything keep saying, Roberts was in a few serious car crashes as a kid. Like, a few? Like, how many? Well, now the name makes even more sense. <laughs> what the fuck? I have heard of, like, something wild making somebody's hair turn gray. or So I could buy that he, at the very least, heard of a story like Does that. Does he have white hair? No, he's got long black hair. But in the song, they talk about the kid who's... No, I know, but, like, yeah. but if it's based on Brad Roberts' life... Like, unless he knew a leper. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. Nobody has a bunch of birthmarks. There might be like a girl had a birthmark like on her face and then he didn't want her to know the song was about her. So, like- Well, so he actually has a birthmark 
and and his birthmark is at the base of his spine. And he says it made him a bullying target as a child. And I haven't been able to figure out what was going on there either. If you look at it, it spells Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he says about it, that it made him a bullying target. So I think it was in the shape of a Canadian Grammy. <laughs> now, I, I know this is like the wrong thing to do, but I, I'm Googling Brad Roberts just to see what he looks like. And I'm looking at the image searches and like third row down, it's a picture of him and his wife, I assume. But the line underneath of it, like the line underneath of all of these are Brad Roberts of Crash Your Tummy, Brad Roberts of Crash Your Tummy. This one is rich white couple in Soho. <laughs> and it's clearly Brad and his wife. <laughs> now I'm like, wait, what's this article about? All right. And is it about them? I'm trying to find some, you know, that's where I'm the, the weird rabbit hole I'm going down the side here. He also uh, knew a girl who went to a church where the members were known to speak in tongues, which inspired the third verse. He got the idea of the boy's hair turning from black to white from stories he'd heard about the phenomenon happening to survivors of perilous experiences, including a man who almost went over Niagara Falls and his great uncle who fought in Japan in World War II and heard Japanese soldiers yelling threats in broken English. So, I guess that turned wait, his hair. I'm sorry. What did the broken English have to do with that story at all? I don't know. It's it's <laughs> seriously just it's just what Brad Roberts claimed, what he said about yeah, yeah, yeah. his I'm uncle. Not, I'm not grilling you, but I want to <laughs> get in on this for just one second. He's saying his uncle was in a war and people were bombing him. And also there was broken English. Like Those are the three things that scared his uncle the most. He's like, I, I lost a leg. I got shot three times, but that broken English fucking turned my hair white. <laughs> it's fucking yeah. He had he did have some racist bones in his body. <laughs> it turns out it's inside his ears. <laughs> it was awful. Did you know we were fighting fucking Asians the whole time we were over there? That sucked. <laughs> he wouldn't let himself get captured if he'd have known. These guys seem cool. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an alternative version of the song that's performed at some of their concerts where he replaces the third verse about about the Pentecostal church with one concerning a boy whose mother disposed of his tonsils after a tonsillectomy, thus depriving him of the possibility of bringing them to show and tell at school. What the fuck? And when he performs this, Brad says something <laughs> like, when you've had to suffer through a song a million fucking times, you might as well have it changed up for the live program. So he chose to sing about this is, this is just stuff that made him sad when he was younger. Yeah, I can think of many other things you could sub the verse for that would have to do with the topic at hand, but this one's out yeah, there. Think about it. The one kid has some trauma and his hair turns white. The girl has all these birthmarks and she's getting bullied. And this other kid's like, couldn't bring my tonsils to show and tell. Like, I've, I've been oppressed. This is my bitch mom. <laughs> what the fuck? This is so ridiculous. This dude is the most ridiculous person of all time. I'm honestly upset he didn't have more hits. We needed him in the zeitgeist. Uh, there's plenty of music, which we'll get into, that you can enjoy by the Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> and their various side projects. But I mean, I wish I wish he would have been more popular. It would have been great. Can you imagine hearing this dude get in an argument with Kid Rock? <laughs> I would love to see him like like these days on the VMAs. Like He's presenting awards with Drake. You know, backstage, he'd be like trying to slip Drake demos and stuff. He's that he's got that kind of energy. No, he'd be like, "Yo, Drake, do you mind if you talk about the Crash Test Dummies cassette early on? Because I need these to go up in value. So if you if you mention it, if you mention it, that would really help me. <laughs> Just do me a solid here. We're both Canadian, dude. We got this connection. There is supposedly a story behind the verse, the new verse about the tonsils. The, the director's cut with the tonsils. Apparently, he had three alternatives when he was composing the song, and he just keeps saying that the ecstatic Christians beat out Little Scott Bell and his tonsils and made the album, and no one knows what the other alternatives were. I'm so confused about this. Little Scott Bell. Uh, I feel like there should be like a, a a wiki for just Crash Test Dummies, like the people in these these songs and how they all connect. And like, I want a movie. Actually, I want I want a series of movies from all brad roberts characters guys can i quickly sidebar this article is real i guess the new york times profiled brad roberts and his wife who lived in soho and their neighborhood was gentrifying around them in 2004 or whatever and they wrote an article but like what happens when the neighborhood gentrifies around you and this article was in response being like 
you're a fucking white couple from Canada who moved to New York City like three years ago. You don't, you're not like from New York. Oh my God. This is a real thing. Well, this dude made a lot of money off playing the victim. He, he, he's made a lot of money off playing the victim in suspect circumstances. It's, I'm starting to <laughs> see a theme develop here. They made me go to church. I got white neighbors now. This, this man is more tone deaf than I could have imagined. <laughs> This is this is almost as upsetting as the time my mom threw away my tonsils. How dare you, New York Times? I came into this neighborhood as a man with a birthmark, and they built up around me. You know, the song blew up, and I love what the University of Winnipeg's student newspaper, The Uniter, had to say about it. They said that the crash test dummies sounded close enough to grunge that Winnipeggers felt like they were part of the grunge movement. That's very, very that's, Canadian. That's a Uniter right there, not a divider. Right. That. <laughs> oh yeah, we're jumping in the video. Uh, I'm I'm hitting play. Definitely remember this on mine. Yeah, we got folks going into this theater. So the music video was directed by Dale Heslip. So it basically sets the song lyrics as a script for a series of one act plays performed by school. Throughout the scenes of the performance are intercut with scenes of the crash test dummies performing at stage side. As you were saying that, when I hit play on mine, it faded over to his face, and he looks like um. Like a, you know, clearance rack version of Encino Man, the mummy. What's, what's that guy's name? <laughs> uh, Brendan Fraser. Fraser yeah. That was a big look at the time. So the, the, the first, I guess the, the first uh, play um, is the kid with the white hair. And his name is Whitey. They literally name him Whitey in it. Well, you see, it's a double entendre. Right. Yeah, it's about gentrification. And the second pits, uh, blotchy against bratty kids who uh blotchy has marks all over her you know the 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 birthmarks it's like very male gazy with like some force in there it's very it's 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 discomforting hey look man we you know he's commenting on the male gaze what have what have we done guys so then the third is a reluctant boy and I guess these these nicknames are not in the video itself, but the the reason that people know that these are the nicknames is because this was on an episode of Pop Up Video. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> on VH1 <laughs> explains it all. Reluctant boy, this is such a weird That's video. A now that I'm looking back on it, it's 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 very strange. I mean, it's a weird song. It's a weird band. Reluctant uh, boy opened in the 2004 for Casey Elephant. Was there really a band called that? Because it's kind of a great band name. No, but there's a lot of boys. You know what I mean? Boy hits <laughs> car, era, Fallout yeah, Boy. Yep, yep. Boy sets fire. Big boy. Yeah. Our boy Brad makes the weirdest facial expressions in this video. Yeah, he just did. Oh, man. I wish we could all watch it at the same time. So on mine, at about... I think I saw the one you were like, he just like the... Like looking at the camera and yeah, it's like at <laughs> two fifty, yep, fifty one, fifty two. He makes the mm face. It's just duck face. He's just going. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely going to be the uh, the cover of our our, our post about this episode. <laughs> he looks very satisfied. I thought it was all tongue in cheek until this podcast because I had never read a single interview yeah. with the guy because I am cool, but. I feel is he like, self-aware? Is he doing it on purpose? But like, I just thought it was very self-aware, and now I don't. If it is, he's better than Father John Misty at that stuff. I don't know. I can't tell, but he gets made fun of a lot in in like the criticisms of his music. <laughs> totally, yeah. I could actually hear Father John Misty covering this song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, one little bit I wanted to say about the song that I had forgotten to include was that he he wanted to hum in the refrain because it sound more resigned <laughs> and if, if he put lyrics to it he thought that it would have been um i don't know gratuitous i don't even know what to say about that hey man this is nothing you can do to change the world this dude was irony poisoned before brooklyn was <laughs> and he was gentrifying new york this is <laughs> of course he's an english major they did perform this on SNL, and I oh, encourage wow. you guys to watch the performance. Well, they were big time. I mean, that's a huge honor to play SNL. So they were, this song was huge. Oh, yeah, it's huge. This song was huge. This song was huge. So some of the critical, uh, the critical reactions to this was uh, Billboard called the song a shimmering acoustic rock jewel. 
that marries a worldwide vocal with a textured arrangement that is what? full of aural good. Maybe he wasn't pretentious. Maybe everybody fucking talked like that in 1993. <laughs> uh, Robert Hilburn, who wrote one of my favorite biographies about Johnny Cash, oh, yeah. he wrote for the LA Times, the exaggerated vocal narration makes this sound like a novelty, but it's a deceptively original work about how kids are often tormented for falling outside. The I, I guess I'm coming back to what you were saying, that like the idea of the song is great. And and sonically, I enjoy the song for whatever reason. But now that I've learned more about it, I, mm-hmm. it it's, it's just so fucking strange. Well, it was highly successful when it came out and people dug it. But now the song is number 15 on VH1's 50 Most Awesomely Bad Songs Ever. Um, Rolling Stone named it the 15th most annoying song of all time. It can't even be the most annoying. It's not even in the top 10 worst. <laughs> this guy sucks. I think I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah i think i'm the opposite of you guys i think i hate the idea of this fucking song but i like the song i think the idea of the song is a big pile of fucking garbage but it's catchy you know i i really also love that it was nominated for a grammy award for best pop performance by a duo or a group with vocal it lost to i swear by all for one which is a fucking jam which is far better and I think I think that was I think <laughs> yeah. that was warranted. I really want to tell you guys about the old Crash Test Dummies website, which I found on the Wayback Machine. They had an FAQ section. I'm already inside. And they claim these are all frequently asked questions. One, where did the lead singer get his deep voice? Depending on Brad's mood, he'll usually give one of two answers. Either he inherited his bass baritone from his paternal grandfather, or he possesses a third <laughs> testicle. He put that question in there because he thought that joke was good. Yeah, exactly. The next question is, so does Brad Roberts really have a third testicle? Oh, my God. <laughs> Which uh, he never he never discloses, but he says that if you demand proof, he might show you, which is fucking weird. <laughs> Man, I mean, 1993 internet jokes. Yeah. I've heard worse. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, you know, we already, we're already crucifying this guy. Uh, which he probably wants because a lot like Jesus, he's, he's doing it for the kids. But I'm going to give that a seven out of 10 for an internet joke in 1994. They also get into people thought they were Satanists because Brad made a remark about um, his Grammy nominations that it looks like all the packs with Satan were finally paying off. This has been the most angering thing you've said to us that this dude got to be associated with being that cool who who the fuck saw that guy heard that band and was like i bet they sold their soul to the devil buddy your soul must have been shitty the devil was like i'm not even sure i want it they also get into this fucking weird beef on here on the faqs it says was there a book written about the dummies which like who's writing under the website going do you guys have a book about you indeed Superman's song, The Story of Crash Test Dummies, was written by Stephen Austick, former music critic at Winnipeg Free Press, published by Cory Press. And they say, the book was unauthorized. And in the third and final issue of Dummy Heads, the original Dummies fan club newsletter, Brad Roberts was quoted as saying, the general tone is nauseatingly sentimental, the fact-finding is wildly inaccurate, and the analysis ranges from the merely dull to the downright bone. However, I'm going to... Make sure you read it by putting it on my FAQ in the website. When asked to respond to those comments for this FAQ, Mr. Ostick defended his book, saying all the information came either from the public record, from the mouths of the dummies themselves, or from those who were there, saw or heard it for themselves. <laughs> the mouths of the dummies themselves. <laughs> now that is a book for <laughs> The mouths of the dummies. Outside of their home country of Canada, this single became the band's most successful song. And it peaked at number one in Australia, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, and on the U.S. modern rock tracks. It was a top five hit on the U.K. singles chart and the all-genre U.S. Billboard Hot 100. But in the band's native Canada, it stalled out at number 14. Wow. So there's like people who bought that book, which is called Superman Song. There's like crash test dummy fans in Canada who think mm-hmm, was them selling out. Exactly. That's That's exactly it. what it is. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Dude. Those what were they called? The dummy heads? Yeah, dummy heads. The dummy heads are dummy, dummy heads just sitting around like, ah, I don't know, man. I just feel like that first album was much better. Yeah, it actually <laughs> like I read several things that said that mm, was a disappointment on the Canadian charts. 
but the album has sold like 8 million copies worldwide. It's crazy. There are a couple of great covers and versions of this song and samples as well. The rapper Yalo Creo sampled it in his Latin rap song. Actually kind of a jam. I'm going to send this to you guys and you can check it out later. Um, it's like just that guitar part and he's rapping in Spanish over it. The song was covered by Alan Thicke and Wayne Brady on an episode of How I Met Your Mother that takes place in Canada. Actually, vaguely remember that. Man, that's great. Obviously, this, the song is in Dumb and Dumber, too. Dumb and Dumber also? Or Dumb and Dumber? That song is also in Dumb and Dumber. Uh, it's whenever, they, whenever they're... They go the wrong way, and the two of them are walking by themselves. It's like the... Oh, yeah, but they also did a... Miss the Bridge. They also cover an ecstasy song on the, on the soundtrack that was on the album. And there is, in fact, a Weird Al parody of this song called Headline News that I will also send you guys to check out. It's fantastic. Uh, and Dr. Demento is in the video, which is very cool. Um, where are the crash test dummies now? We're going we're to wrap up and find out where they've well, been. Apparently not so, though. <laughs> in January 1995, as I said, they were on the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. That single did chart, and then they put out their third album in 1996, A Worm's Life. The name just got worse and, and worse. And it got it was a little heavier, heavier guitars, and we're just and, worms, man. I got worms. The lead single from A Worm's Life hit number two in Canada, but otherwise didn't do much. The band, according to Rolling Stone, faded into obscurity when their follow-ups failed to connect. They did make a mockumentary called Crash Test Dude, or sorry, a rockumentary called crash test dude that i watched parts of it's basically just like vhs tape of him on tour like making dumb jokes and it doesn't really make man i bet i bet they got wild with the groupies man oh there are there are some yeah there are some fans that like hang out some crash test groupies crash test groupies i'm sure did get in another severe car accident in 2001 (laughs) (laughs) we should not be laughing but the front man of the crash test dummies keeps getting fucking car wrecks dude he's doing it on purpose guys he did get an accident and during his his recovery he was hanging out with a bunch of lobster fishermen and he made an album with them and they all sing on the album and he released that shortly after his recovery wow um that was a solo album just the crash test dude himself brad roberts and then the band reunited a few times in the 2000s, in 2018, they did a 25th anniversary tour of the album, and they played with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra in 2017. They were backed by them and recorded that. Uh, and it really seems like all the members of the band just make their own music, and then whenever Brad's like, hey, we're going on the road, they all come back together. So it's kind of like a really shitty version of Broken Social Scene. But they're still playing? They're still playing, yeah. Still getting along. So you're telling me that at some point next year I can go see a Crash Test Dummies show. Yep. And when when the Crash Test Dummies aren't on tour, Brad Roberts is a teacher at the School of Rock in Manhattan. So you could go learn guitar from him if you want to. Wow. Ted. The School of Rock is real? Yeah. It's a, it's a chain. It's a chain music school for kids. For rich kids? Yeah. Oh, definitely for rich kids. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Brad, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I'm just like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, is everybody at the School of Rock a one-hit wonder or like the drummer for Megadeth or something? <laughs> no, it's it's just him and Tall Bachman, and they tore around, they tore around and teach kids how to play their shitty it's 90s only Canadian songs. acts. <laughs> <laughs> they did also make a Christmas album called Jingle All the Way. Please tell me the Christmas version of mm mm Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Jingle all the way, jingle all the way. Once there was this kid gonna get some coal in his stocking too. Then his dad died, and I felt that time. Never apologize. Uh, according to their website, the Christmas album, due to limited distribution, is hard to find. <laughs> due to the fact that it was never released. So that's. That's essentially it. I didn't I didn't find much about how it got famous other than they had some success before and 
I didn't find much about it like musically. It's all lyrical story, which just kind of makes sense. He just kind of talks over the song. I mean, it oddly connected with all of us when we were young. It just had this weird vibe when people they were like, yeah, yes, I want more of this. Yeah. It's almost a song that's so peculiar that when you hear it, you're like, I gotta hear that again. And you slowly start. There's also nobody singing bass on pop yeah. radio. Like what? Barry White? Barry White and Crash Test Dummies. I think that's probably a part of it. I also think you guys would probably know more about this than me. That was a weird time. Like they really hit a sweet spot in terms of, you know, MTV. And uh, I think Paola was just ending or well, transforming, probably not ending. Mm-hmm. Like there was anyway, I'm just saying there's a lot going on that they were probably able to get take advantage of or get lucky with. Oh, yeah. And MTV played the video constantly, supposedly. Constantly. That's the thing that made him recognizable in public. It's an earworm, too. It really is an earworm. It definitely is. It definitely is. Uh, and even just like the way he sings things, like I can hear other songs and picture him singing them. And then that's stuck in my head. Hell yeah, I'd love to hear him cover Miley. Yeah, I think this was the time when if you put any <laughs> money into a video, they would play it a lot on MTV because they didn't have a wide selection. Oh, yeah. Like, so if you made a video that was like well produced, it was like, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep playing. Oh, and it's this. definitely a high budget video. Yeah, it wasn't just B-roll of Venice yeah. Beach. Every, like, the first time I went to L.A., I was like, fuck, dude, I'm on MTV. <laughs> and you pop your headphones in and put the crash uh, test on that, someone just to really feel in the mood. Uh, well, the, you reminded me of The Bridge. The Bridge was flamed. Uh, oh, I would love actually, to Actually, I do that, really uh, like that part of the song. Harmonic behind dude, it? They would be Americana hits. Yeah, days. dude. They would be playing fucking Newport Folk Fest and, like... In with the cool kids. That was Mumford and Cousins. <laughs> so that's the story. Drew, it was great to have you. Thanks for being here. Uh, do you mind telling uh, our, our listeners what's what's going on with you and they should check out? Yeah, uh, you can find most of my tour dates at wellreadcomedy.com. That's well, R-E-D, like smart redneck. Uh, you guys get it. I tour with the Well Red Tour. Uh, I'm at Drew Morg Comedy on all platforms. Uh, we are starting to tour again. That's about all I got to go on going on that I can talk about. Everything else is, you know, pushed a year and a half because of this fucking pandemic. Well, thanks for spending your uh, your sick day with us. I hope you feel better. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, I got to say, Christ has dummies better than COVID. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at YWAHpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.